What you see is what you get. Hello, my name is Pastor Chris Miller, and I am your host on the PC Speaking Podcast, where we are equipping Christians for life. Hello, and welcome back to the PC Speaking Podcast. I'm so glad you are listening in. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate each and every one of you. I pray for you guys every single day. You're on my list. Um, well, I had a good day yesterday. Uh, it was Sunday. I was in church. Yeah, pretty amazing day. When I began my ministry, I always thought it would be cool, a good thing to to stick around long enough with a church, maybe even uh, my entire ministry with one church, but stick around long enough to see generational things happen, like marry some parents and then maybe eventually get to marry their kids when they grow up. And uh, that kind of happened yesterday, which is pretty awesome. I, there's a lady I baptized um, many years ago now, about 14 years ago. And yesterday I got to baptize her son, which was pretty exciting for all of us. It was a, a bit of a mile marker for me too as well. So certainly happy for that family. Keep them in your prayers. But we are back in our series on relationships. Relationships 101. And we're talking what we're talking about is God's boundaries for relationships. Last week we talked about wives. This week we're talking about husbands. And we are going to be doing that from Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 through 33. Well, that's what we're going to read anyway. It's a bit too much to get through in, in one session. We're really just going to look at the first verse, but we'll read all of them just for context. It says, starting in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loves the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. In this way, men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord cares for the church. We, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I am speaking about Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Uh, this passage is is a challenge one, challenging one. It seems kind of straightforward at first. Husbands love your wives until you start digging into it. There's actually quite a bit to that. But Paul compares the marriage covenant between a man and a woman with the relationship Jesus has with his followers. And the language of marriage is often used that way in the Bible. That language is somewhat metaphorical in the sense that the marriage covenant, in a way, illustrates probably the closest thing we can understand to the fullness of our relationship with Jesus as saved believers. Marriage as we know it, and as solemn and important as it is, I think it still comes up a bit short in understanding what that, you know, the, the fullness of the relationship that we have with Jesus. Even Paul writes, you know, this is a great mystery, kind of bounces back and forth between the two there a bit in this passage. 
But that's not the direction we're going today. We're talking about relationships, specifically the marriage covenant. We talked about wives last week. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And that was a challenging topic to talk about for sure. And it's a challenging topic to present tactfully, um, challenging to apply. Although it's a challenging topic, it's relatively easy to understand. Husbands, love your wives, which is at the center of what we're talking about today. Sounds simple. It's easier to talk about. There's likely a willingness to make an application of this among husbands. And it sounds simple, but it's it's a somewhat complicated topic. It's easier to talk about uh, than what we talked about last week, but harder to understand and really dig into it and apply it. The way you love your wife is complicated. Women are complicated creatures. They require time, experience, understanding, and nuance, I guess you could say. Men tend to be more straightforward, we're less complex. Women tend to be more complex. Uh, I've seen men compared to a plain wall with one switch on it, on and off. That's about the size of it. And then I've seen women compared to the cockpit of a passenger jet, dials and switches and stuff everywhere, and you don't even know where to start. To muddy the waters a little more, in the Bible, there are several different words that are translated as the one word love. (coughs) Excuse me, words that describe Unconditional love, brotherly love, friendship, all of those things. And the language from which the Bible was translated uses different words for different kinds of love. And we mostly use, well, in English, we mostly use the same word for those different kinds of loves. We understand the implied meaning by the context in which we use the word. If I say, I love steak, you, you know what I mean. You know what I'm talking about. If I say, I love my wife, you also know what I mean. And you also know that I mean different things when I say I love my wife and I love steak. Even though I use the same word, you know, I'm talking about two different kinds of love. And you determine that by the context in which I use the word. If I say I love my wife and then I say I love my kids, you also know what I mean. There are similarities there, but there's also difference and nuance between the two as well but you know what I mean by the context in which I use the word love. I've always felt uh, for people who have learned English as a second language, that must be very challenging to sort all of this out. But when we talk about the difference in love between, you know, uh, say I love my kids, love my wife, love steak, whatever, it can be, it can be a challenge to articulate that difference and put it into words. Um, It's, we, sometimes we know things in our head that are hard to put into words. If I ask, what is love? You probably know in your mind what that is, but it's not that easy to put that into a few sentences. If I ask, why does it matter how we define the word love or define any word for that matter? Again, you probably have an idea in your mind, but it's not that easy to put what's in your mind into a sentence. When we read husbands love your wives, it seems pretty simple. But when we really start to think about it and put it into words, it's a somewhat complicated topic. And today we're going to try to break that down as best we can into a few bullet points that are relatively straightforward and hopefully applicable. In defining what it means to for a husband to love his wife, 
let's we're going to read a couple of verses to better define the word love. First John 4.8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. John 3.16, very familiar verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Those two verses show us the love that God is and also the love that God shows. The love of God is a complex thing. That's the same kind of love, the same word in 1 John 4, 8 and John 3, 16 that is used in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, where the Bible says, husbands love your wives. And it makes the comparison between the two. It says, just as Christ, who is God in the flesh, also loved the church and gave himself for it. So, husbands love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, as God so loved the world. The Bible shows that husbands, when we love our wives, are to follow the example of Jesus in that the love he demonstrates is self-sacrificial love. That love is made manifest in a husband who is living in submission to the Lord. So as if you're a husband, which I am as well, we need to remember that when we talk about these things, that God helps husbands do this who are submitted to him and following him. And men who are submitted to the Lord and committed to following him, um, make last week's sermon on wives submitting to their husbands a much easier pill to swallow. So what does self-sacrificial love look like? Well, you know, when as a man, you, you're hungry, and if you're a man, you've uh, and you're married, or you've been out to a restaurant with a woman. You you probably know what this is like. But you're hungry. You order food. Your wife says she's not hungry, and then you say, "Are you sure?" My son-in-law uh, was talking about this the other day, and he illustrated it like this. He says, "I want ten chicken nuggets. I can order twelve chicken nuggets. I can order fifty chicken nuggets, but I want." 10 chicken nuggets. Would you like me to order extra so you can have some? And then your wife says, no, I'm not hungry. I don't want anything. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. But then the moment the food arrives, she reaches for your plate. Now I have nine nuggets or even worse, I have eight or worse still, I have seven. I wanted 10. I was very forthcoming about that. Now, women tend to think that's completely reasonable. I've got to say this, though, if you were offered food before it was ordered and you said no, the self-sacrificial love command is null and void. No, that's not true. I'm just joking around. The reality is that Scripture doesn't speak to that directly, so um, you'll have to sort out the restaurant ordering and all that stuff amongst yourselves. But food drama aside, we all see self-sacrifice as very noble. We need to uphold and respect that marriage as both husbands and wives. And we're going to break down and illustrate self-sacrificial love in three ways. And as we talk about each one of these kinds of loves or the way a husband loves his wife, we remember that they are under the example of the self-sacrificial love of Jesus and how he gave himself for his followers. And the first one is this. 
there's a kind of love that is passion. Pretty easy to understand. Yeah, the word for that is eros. It's kind of like erotic. And this may be one of the best examples of men are pretty straightforward. Easy to understand when it comes to this. And women, on the other hand, are a little more complex. But it is one of the ways a husband loves his wife. Passionate love, romantic love. We often think of love as a feeling or an emotion. And this kind of love sits well in that space. But there's also the idea that if you don't feel love or it's not happening, it must not be right or something's wrong with you or your marriage or whatever. But even passionate love requires effort and action to love property, to love in a self-sacrificial way. Love is kind of like faith in that faith is more than just an intellectual understanding or belief. It's the courage to humble ourselves and act on what God says is true. Like James says in the book of James, faith without works is dead. If you aren't living it out, do you really have it? Do you really have faith if your actions don't reflect that? Do husbands really love their wives if they don't act like they love their wives, if they don't take action to express love? Do they really have it? Even passion and love involves more than just emotional feeling. So how do you love your wife passionately? Remember, it's also self-sacrificial love. It's more than just feeling passionate. If you've been married for a while, you'll track well with me on this. People tend to think that love is only emotional feeling or just happens when you find the right person. People also tend to think that passion is something that is uh, spontaneous. It just happens. It just happens when you feel it. And then if that's not the case, then something's wrong or you married the wrong person, whatever it might be. But let me tell you, you didn't marry the wrong person. When you have kids, chores, jobs, life happens, you're running kids here and there, uh, dinner needs to be made, lunch is packed, there's laundry to do, there's jobs to be worked, and so on. If you are relying on spontaneity and the passion part of your marriage, you're probably going to end up disappointed very often. You'll find that it won't be long before the passion and romance part of your marriage starts to circle the drain. At the end of a day, filled with laundry, diapers, work, school pickup, cooking, dishes, all those different things. Passion becomes a very low priority for both the husband and the wife. Now, the thing about that is, is a man can be really, really tired and still say, well, you know, I, I feel passionate. I'm in the mood. But that's not the same thing as self-sacrificial, passionate love. That's more of a, a that's more of a base desire. And I don't mean that's bad. It's a good God-given desire, and it can be a driver to help you demonstrate self-sacrificial, passionate love. A wife doesn't generally respond well to a husband's end of a long day desire like that. And when that happens, a husband can become frustrated, then he's less likely to express love to his wife, and it becomes a bad cycle. So what do you do about that? Communicating is the first step. A husband and a wife must understand that passion is not only spontaneous. It's nice when it is. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's great when it happens like that, but it's not always that. Sometimes you need to plan it. Can you plan romance? Can you plan spontaneity? Yes, you can very much. You can actually do that. It's not just the feeling that is the love. It's what you do that shows the love. That's where the love becomes self-sacrificial, the time and the effort you put into it. One way to look at this, um, 
the exercise of self-sacrificial, passionate love is removing obstacles that might get in the way of passionate love. One of the things that my wife and I have done uh, in our marriage, well, for a very long time, we started this very early in our marriage, is about twice a year, hopefully, maybe occasionally once a year, maybe sometimes three times a year. But what we try to do is we go away, just the two of us. We, you know, I get away from the office. We get away from the house. We go someplace where it's just the two of us. And I'm the one who plans it. And it's not cheap or easy to do that. Someone might say it's so expensive and it takes so much time. You got to take time away from work. You got to do all this stuff. And, you know, when you go, you want to go for at least two or three days. I'm the one who plans it. It is expensive. It's a sacrifice, but it's also an investment in loving my wife. That may mean spending money. And, you know, when you're going to do something like that, of course you do so within your budget, but taking my wife away is not cheap. It's expensive. I could have bought some pretty amazing tools for my shop with the money we've spent on going away over the years. But loving my wife passionately has been a sound investment in our marriage. And that carries over to an investment in our family. And that carries over to an investment in our church. And that carries over even to an investment in our society. Okay, here's a scenario for you. Maybe um, young fella, not married yet. I don't know. Maybe you've been married for a while. You're in, this, in kind of a slump. You can, you can take some notes on this and then adjust it to your situation. Write it down if you want, whatever. Here's a scenario. You come home one day. And you bring your wife a gift. It might just be something small, but it's something you know she likes, something just for her. And when you bring your wife a gift that is just for her and it's something she likes, that says two things. One, it says, I love you. And the other one, it says, not only do I love you, but I pay enough attention to know what you like. She says, oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. I better go start dinner. You say, "Ah, don't worry about that. I made a booking at that place you like. And then she comes back with, well, what about the kids? And you say, well, I called your mom. She's going to take them. Why don't you go get ready? I'll take the kids through the drive-through and drop them at grandma's house. And you tell her, take your time. We've got plenty of time. I'll be back in a bit. And you can tell her to take her time because you are competent and plan this well. And you made the booking for a time you know would give her plenty of time to get ready because we know that sometimes women can take a while to get ready. And then just before you take the kids, you lean it over and you say, oh yeah, pack an overnight bag. I got us a room for the night. Now that's a lot of work, a lot of planning. It's a lot of expense, but that's one example of a self-sacrificial, passionate love. That's one of many ways you can do that. And it doesn't always have to be that elaborate. Obviously, it can be a combination of those things. It could be any one of those things, but it's good to put that passionate love into action. And you can see how you can separate just the the desire from the action. Now, if we go back to Ephesians 5.22 and talk about wives submitting to their own husbands as unto the Lord, what would that look like? Well, in this scenario, it wouldn't look like a wife saying, well, we can't afford that or it's too much trouble and I don't want to leave the kids. It would look like, wow, you really made a big effort. You must really love me. It means putting on something you feel good in and going out for the evening and enjoying yourself. And that brings us to the next kind of love a husband has for his wife. When I study, I have a few favorite books that I use. They aren't really Bible commentaries. 
I don't know, Bible Condors are just, I'm not a huge fan. But what I like to use is uh, word study books. They're not something you'd sit down and read. They're study books. It'd be kind of like reading a dictionary or a phone book. They'd be kind of boring to just sit and read. But what they do is they take the words used in the original language for a passage in Scripture, and they break them down, define them according to the context in which they are used in different verses. And they just, they don't give you much commentary. The application is mostly left up to the one doing the study, to the reader. And I like that because I get to bring the meaning of a passage into our time and our culture and make the relevant application. And the books I use, you know, biblical languages don't change. They've been around for a very long time. And most of the books I use are older books. Um, One of them, I think, was written in the 1800s. And the newest one was published in the 1950s. And one of my word study books I was using to study this out defined uh, the love that a husband has for his wife as a love of complacency. And I thought, man, that sounds weird, complacency. Now, no doubt there are some wives who would say, yeah, my husband's pretty complacent. When I think of complacency, I think of not paying attention. But I'm not even sure that's completely right. But what does it mean uh, a, a, a husband's love for his wife is a love of complacency or one of complacency? What does that mean? Well, the book I was using was written in the 1950s. And the way we use words changes over time. That book was written around 70 years ago. So I dug around and found a dictionary definition of the word complacency from the 1950s. And it defined complacency as a feeling of uncritical satisfaction. And I thought, well, there you go. A husband's love for his wife is one of uncritical satisfaction. But then what does that look like in real life? One way might be that when a husband rolls over first thing in the morning and he sees his wife, he tells her, you are beautiful. His wife thinks, you're out of your mind. I just woke up, my hair's mess. I don't have makeup on. I don't feel beautiful at all right now. But that's one of the ways a husband loves his wife. He has uncritical satisfaction with his wife. And I think that's what Solomon was getting at in Proverbs 5.18, where he's talking about rejoicing in the wife of your youth, you know, uncritical satisfaction. He also talks about that in the Song of Solomon. And that's in some ways, also part of the passionate love we just talked about. Most men, I would say all men, but you have to be careful using terms like all and every. Most men think they married the most beautiful woman on the planet. And men like to think that. We like to feel like that. When a man tells his wife she's beautiful, he means it, even if his wife doesn't feel like that's true. Uh, remember last week we talked about wives submitting to their own husbands as unto the Lord. And this is a great illustration of what that might look like in real life. When a husband loves his wife with uncritical satisfaction and tells his wife, you are beautiful, even when she doesn't feel beautiful, what would a wife submitting to her husband in that scenario look like? It would be a wife believing what her husband says. My wife and I, we got a hold of this at some point in our marriage and she's decided to believe me when I tell her things. You know, when you, you want to be as trustworthy as possible. You tell the truth for a long time and trust grows. And then when you say something like this, she's like, well, he's being truthful. So she's decided to believe me when I tell her that, or maybe at least believe that I think that. And the question 
You know, there's always that question, believe your husband. But what if a man says terrible things? What if he's just a jerk? You see, that's not uncritical satisfaction. That's not love. That's not inside of God's boundaries for marriage. That is not a husband loving his wife. That is not a husband living in submission to the Lord. What we are working on learning is what's inside of God's boundaries, how this works when a husband is living in submission to the Lord, when he is supposed to be doing or he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. But remember, this entire passage is couched in the language of the gospel. After verse 22 says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. At the end of that verse, the Bible says, as unto the Lord. And we talked about it last week, but that doesn't mean a husband is like the Lord. He's like Jesus. Every wife knows that's not true. But in following God's design for marriage, we all submit to God in marriage. But I think what we're talking about brings up an interesting application for that in light of the gospel message. When a husband speaks to his wife in the love of uncritical satisfaction, his wife should submit herself to what he says and believe it. Believe it's true. We should all submit ourselves to what the Lord says in the same way. We should believe what he says about who we are. Jesus died on the cross, acting out of self-sacrificial love for you and me. If you don't know or believe that Jesus did that for you, God says you're lost in your sin and you need a savior to rescue you from the consequence of that sin. Maybe you don't feel that way. Maybe, yeah, I don't feel like that, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't believe what he says. If you're a saved believer, maybe you've been saved for decades. Maybe you've been in church a really long time and God says, you are his child. You're a child of the one true king. The world is not your home. You're destined for eternity in heaven with God. God identifies each one of us like this. He says, you are sinful. You are incapable of reconciling with me on your own, but I love you in such a self-sacrificial way that I sent my son Jesus to die for you. Find your identity in that. Believe what God says. And think about that. What a, what a perfect identity. It does away with pride and low self-esteem all at the same time. And I can't reconcile myself with God, so that does away with pride. But God loved me enough that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And that takes care of the low self-esteem side. But regardless of where you fall in any of those categories, you need to believe what God says about you, even if you don't feel like it. God says, I'm sinful. That is true, even if I don't feel like it right now. God says he loves me. That is true, even if I don't feel like it right now. So on to the last kind of love we're going to talk about today. And that is a husband love for his wife is one of fondness and affection. And this kind of love, and you know, there's, there's different words for these different kinds of love in the, the original language. And I'm always like, I don't know if I want to go into those or not. Cause sometimes I just feel like I'm trying to make myself sound smart when I use Greek words and nobody knows. Um, but these are all, these different kinds of loves are, are based on those different words. But this kind of love is like family love, the love of fondness and affection. The love we have for our family. A husband loves his wife passionately. He loves his wife with uncritical satisfaction. He also loves his wife with fondness and affection. He loves her as family. And if you have a brother or sister that you're close with, the love a husband has for his wife, is it's similar to that, very similar to that. This is the kind of love we're talking about. 
This is kind of love is characterized by strength and duration, and not just the strength of the emotion or feeling, but the strength that leads to endurance. When you think about it, if you have siblings, they are your siblings no matter what. When you have blood relatives, family, they are your family no matter what. Even if you don't get along, even if they annoy you to no end, they are still your family. Matter of fact, when they're your family, there's nothing you can do about it. You can ignore them, not talk to them, but that doesn't change a thing. You can't change the fact that they are your family. And that's kind of the attitude of this kind of love, family love. Uh, attitude of loving has for his wife in a marriage covenant. It's like you are, you're a blood relative and nothing can change that. Like the Bible says, you become one flesh, you're joined. And that's the end of it. In this kind of love, a husband demonstrates to his wife that she has complete security in the love of her husband. He says, the only thing that will take that love away is my death. Nothing's gonna change the fact that I love you. When a husband loves his wife like that in a marriage covenant, the submission to his leadership that we discussed last week seems sensible. It seems reasonable. It seems rational. It becomes infinitely more doable when a husband is submitted to the Lord and he's loving his wife like that. And I don't understand that people will say, in this marriage, that thing happened, or in that marriage, this thing happened, and this marriage disintegrated, and so on and so on. And unfortunately, marriages are broken. They do fall apart. They do break up. And you know, I'm, I never, ever set out to be hard on people. But in a situation where there's been a broken marriage, I guarantee that in each of those situations, someone transgressed the boundaries of the marriage covenant. You know, someone stepped outside of those boundaries. A marriage is torn apart from the inside out um, because someone's allowing things into the covenant that shouldn't be allowed there. Someone transgressed those boundaries in you know, a husband or a wife and probably both the husband and the wife, whether it's infidelity, a lack of love, whatever it might be, someone, probably both someone's, went outside the boundaries of the marriage covenant. And that likely began by disregarding God as part of the covenant. Even when someone transgresses the boundary, they can still come back. It doesn't mean that the marriage has to disintegrate. Um, I've seen some people come back from some pretty crazy stuff and rebuild their marriage and go on the rest of our lives and have a strong marriage. And just because something bad happens doesn't mean the marriage has to end. But a marriage that stays within God's good boundaries for the marriage covenant will not fail. It can't fail. A marriage that stays within God's boundaries, a marriage that stays within God's boundaries for the marriage covenant is indestructible. And that's a pretty bold statement to make, but I really believe that's true. Um, I think I illustrated it. Maybe I used this illustration last week where when I perform a wedding ceremony, I ask the couple to face each other and join hands. And when they do, they form a circle. And that is symbolic of their marriage covenant. And inside that circle is the husband, the wife, and God. That's it. Nothing else comes into that circle, nothing else goes out of that circle. Not parents, not family, nothing. But even if something does find its way into 
that circle inside the marriage covenant, which will probably happen at some point. Um, some things are you know harder to deal with than others, but there's a pretty good chance something's going to get in the way. But it doesn't have to stay there. It doesn't mean the end of the marriage. It shouldn't push it back out, kick it out, and get on get on with life. Marriage within the boundaries of the marriage covenant is indestructible. It has to be because everything else is built on it. And uh, families built on marriage covenant. Uh, church is built on uh, the marriage covenant. People who are, you know, families in church. Church is built on families. Culture and society are built on families, which all goes back to the marriage covenant and how people regard that. And as that disintegrates, you're going to see the culture and society disintegrate as well. A husband's love for his wife is passionate. It's a love of uncritical satisfaction. It's a love of fondness and affection like family. And all those come together under self-sacrificial love. Again, verse 25 says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. We're going to finish with this. We're almost done. We read as Christ gave himself for it. That's the ultimate example of how a husband loves his wife. Willingness to give up his own life, not not just in death, but in daily self-sacrifice. To set his wife as the object of his love and live in a self-sacrificial way for her while he lives in submission to Jesus. All the ways that a husband loves his wife will fall under the heading of the self-sacrificial example of Jesus. Jesus views you and he views me as the object of his love. And he saw us as being worth giving himself up for, even unto death. And Jesus says, you're worth my love. And he demonstrates that love and his complete self-sacrifice. And those are the definitive terms, then they are solemn terms, but that's how a husband loves his wife. That's how Christ loves us and gave his life for us. So I hope there's some helpful things in there that we've talked about today. And husbands, I know uh, it's a it can be difficult to navigate the world out there and marriage and family and work and all the different things you have to do. But I am praying for you and I do care about you guys and I will be praying for you. And I just, yeah, we'll be praying for your marriage and hope that it is the best that it can be. Stick to God's boundaries and things will work out in the best way possible. Talk to you next week. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please consider subscribing and sharing this with someone who might find it helpful. 